If you've ever ruined a good score on Station 7, go ahead and hit that follow button. Any comments, suggestions, or requests, the contact is skeetsocietyinfo at gmail.com. So, Victoria, you were telling me earlier friends of yours were asking about when we are going to do the podcast for Station 7. Yeah, yeah, in San Antonio, everyone wanted to know, they said, what are you going to do Station 7? Yeah, it's funny. I was looking at the dates that we were posting everything, and at that time of the world shoot, we hadn't done Station 6 yet. So I think it's kind of odd that people are asking for 7 but not 6, but I don't know. Maybe they're having problems on 7. So anyway, if that's you, this this podcast episode is dedicated to Victoria's friends. So yeah, yeah. You were, you were also mentioning um, they were asking for a podcast guy. Apparently, that's my new name. Yeah. Yep. Podcast guy. Yeah. I, I think that that's a pretty fitting uh, codename. We can call you the Rabbit Chihuahua. So, on this episode... Yep. That's of, our superhero names. Yeah. So, on this episode of Podcast Guy <laughs> and Rabbit Chihuahua, we are talking about Station 7. So, like Station 6, where we talked about... Um, preconceived notions and the mental aspects of the station, I think we should spend part of the episode on what happens in your head when you've cleared six and are about to move on to seven. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, We often start shooting on station seven. You know, you take your very first shots with a shotgun, low seven. You start breaking ski targets by shooting at high seven. So you've been shooting this one longer than most other targets. So you really, you kind of know it. You know how to shoot it. You've shot it probably a lot more. Um, You've shot millions of them, really. And so you know how to break them. So if you've missed them, usually it's in your head. Okay. Yeah, I'd say once you've broken all four targets on six and you've stepped off the station and you're likely to be in a good frame of mind because... Let's just be honest. Most skeet shooters will think the quote-unquote hard parts are done. And if you remember my intro where I talked about ruining what would have otherwise been a good score on station, uh, good scores on station seven, everyone listening is guilty of this. Um, If you're not and you're brand new to this, then my goodness, I'm so sorry. The podcast algorithm really led you straight. Welcome to Skeet Shooting, the clay target sport where we shoot the same 25 targets around a semicircle with the small shells you used to use in your youth shotgun or buy for those gimmick 410 revolvers. <laughs> that would be funny. Um, yeah, so we want to start. We'll do this really quickly just so that we can get it out of the way. We'll start by talking about the fundamentals because they're pretty simple. So on station seven, if you're a right-handed shooter, belly button is facing out. So just kind of straight out into the distance. And then if you're a lefty, belly button's still in that high house window. And then for the high house, we'll talk about this one first. High house, you're going to be level with the bottom of the window, about 10 feet out from the window. So that's along the flight path of the target. It's very small off the, off the window. And then looking about halfway back, and you're going to track it, shoot it on your side of the field. So your break zone is, you know, 15 feet past the center stake. Okay. Yeah, when we were doing low one a few months ago, we talked about how the lead or the feeling of lead is quite minimal and how we should approach this similarly to other incomers. 
So you talked about the prescribed way that the NSSA teaches as instructors. So you would have your foot position where your body is neutral at the break point um, for high seven, low seven, and then wind back to your hold point, wherever that is, whether it's a few feet off of the high house or a third of the way out or whatever. I'd say the benefit of using this anywhere, not just on seven, is that your move is essentially your entire body coming back into a relaxed state. That's a very good point, too. Um, so if you're on station seven, whether you're shooting the low house or you're just getting ready and you're, you haven't swung back to the high yet, you're going to feel like you're pretty neutral. So you're going to feel very neutral just kind of over that center stake. So that's where your foot position should be. If you need to turn a little bit you know, towards the left, that's fine in order to get that neutral feeling. The key is to not feel bound up, especially... I see this more on left-handed shooters. They're turned too far towards like station four, and then they can't quite swing around to break a high house, whether it's on the single or the pair. Really, lefties are have their bodies angled so that they're too much towards four? Yeah, so they're kind of, and like I do it on one, I angle myself back a little bit towards four. And so they're doing the exact, I mean, it's a mirror image on the other side. And so instead of belly button in the high house, they're kind of turned a little bit too far, almost set their back by like six. And then they can't quite swing all the way around. I've never seen a lefty do that, and I'm quite certain that I don't do that. Um, but uh, that's that's a really interesting data point. Um, I'd say the next thing I would talk about is how this shot is such has such minimal lead that the effects of beginning your move before visually picking up the target would be just as fatal as any other target on the field. Like with other shots, something you can ask yourself after the shot is, did I do everything correct and in the right order? Namely, call for the target, wait until you see the flash, and then steadily begin your move. Yeah. If you start moving before the target comes out, you're likely going to you know, swing too far out in front, and then you're going to have to stop, wait for it to catch up, and then either you'll be jumping out in front of it again, or you'll be shooting swing through. Yeah. Both so, of those are not ideal. Yeah. But uh, I, I do want to touch on that later on. But uh, another scenario that those who occasionally stumble on high seven is that they will be putting too much visual effort into looking at that target early on in the shot. Since this and low one are the longest distance incomers, you will have the longest duration of time from a calling pole until high seven is in your break zone. That is very true. It's kind of like the opposite of shooting on station one. So you have that very long time there. So we just kind of think mirror image now. It's almost just like, you know, do it on the other side. So it's a very similar timing to station one. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is that unless you are swapping shoulders, how you shoot, um, just how you're, you angle your body and your body's mechanics, it will not be the exact same as well, yeah. The one, yeah, the one on the other side of the field. I, I know there, there are definitely similarities that can and should be learned, but unless you're swapping shoulders and you're an ambidextrous person, um, it's, it's never the exact same. So that's, yeah.
I actually knew a guy who did that. He shot one through high four off of one shoulder and then swapped and shot off the other shoulder for the other half of the field. I'm curious how he'd do that with his eyes unless he would uh, do something to affect which eye was dominant, whether it's uh, switching lenses so one has an includer on the other or uh, that's... No, he just closed an eye. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we can only focus, have a hard focus on Atari for a very small amount of time. And mm -hmm. all, while you need to be looking during the entire shot, the intensity of looking for details on the clay needs to be when it's nearing your breakpoint. So looking hard at the target near the end will help you and your gun synchronize in movement and really center punch the target. I'd say that the difficulty in coming up with content like this, discussing it, is not that there isn't enough to talk about seven. It's that most intermediate or scratch that most any type of skeet shooter will not experience major challenges here. So it station seven becomes a discussion on fine tuning your setup so that instead of missing once or twice all year on seven during a tournament that breaks your score, you can clear the entire year without having any. Yeah. And if you keep track of your like your misses throughout the entire season, you'll be surprised how many you actually miss on seven or any baseline. And if you can eliminate that, just think about how much higher your averages would be. Yeah. Everyone says, oh, well, if I hadn't missed this and that target, I would have had a score. Well, <laughs> that's usually where money, titles, and your own accomplishments are won and lost. So I'd say going wrapping around back to the mindset question uh you're not done yet and letting off your focus can make for a really painful 24 or 99 or 399 um it's nor it, yeah it's it's normal to feel some relief moving to seven but and while i'm sure victoria doesn't let off of your focus um most of us will feel an increased sense of assuredness after getting good breaks on six and then strutting off to seven right yeah I, hey i like any type of assurance i like any type of good break doesn't matter what station it is if i walk off of there with two good breaks i'm like yeah i got this yeah I, yeah i'd say the best way to, to healthily frame the station in your mind is that it's not easy there are no easy targets it's just less difficult for a properly taught and instructed skeet shooter with a modicum of experience and I don't even know if it's less difficult. I mean, it's the same thing as any other station. It's just you've shot it a lot more, in my opinion. You've just shot it a lot more, so you're more familiar with it. So you can just do it without even thinking. Yeah, you might have a little bit more margin for error, but still, it'll, yeah. it'll count the same on your scorecard regardless. And um, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd say if someone asks, how can your mindset about a station affect your game? Well here because your own self-expectation to rarely if not never miss on seven it can lead you to being over relaxed or even rushing mm -hmm. the sh yeah even rushing the shots to get done with the round yeah, yeah. with this with a score you've pre-assumed after walking off a six um and i see that a lot rushing mm -hmm. through there you yeah. still gotta take your time and set up on seven and let your eyes kind of settle relax and then call pull don't rush it if you rush it you're not ready. Yeah, you predicted what I was just about to say. Whatever deficient approach mentally can often be the root cause of not properly setting up on Station 7. 
a whole point that's not exactly where you normally start or not letting your eyes settle at your look zone, at your look point before calling pole, rushing, or even becoming laxed is just as likely to uh, starting your move as you call pole instead of waiting to see the target and then moving. And, you know, high seven, it scares the hell out of me. So I know a lot of people really like those slow incomers. I hate them. I hate them. Scary. Yeah, no, I hate those things. But they will put you to sleep. So it's very important to pay attention when they come through. But like Matt said earlier, not pay attention for too long. But you still want to be able to react to them. Because what if it's going down or what if it's going up? If you're not you know, ready, if you are not fully engaged in what you're doing, you're going to shoot over it or under it, depending on where that target is, which is kind of track where you expect it to be. And that can cause a lot of mistakes. Yeah, people, I wouldn't have agreed with this statement years ago, but I almost enjoy high two and low six more than I do high seven because you have so much more time on high seven, but you also have so much more time for you to make a mistake, whether it's visual or uh, your body becoming lazy, laxed, and any of the mistakes in your setup, visual acquisition of the target and the subsequent move to the target discussed in all any of our previous episodes it's just they're just as possible here when shooting on seven and they will count the same four against your score in that box, that hundred target event, your HOA out of 400, your HAA out of 500, assuming you don't skip doubles. You guys don't, don't skip doubles. Do you? Um, don't skip doubles. Yeah. Unless you gotta work then you know, you're allowed to. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So side tangent do you ever show up at a shoot because you had to uh, skip doubles because you were either flying in, driving in, or you're just busy and you kind of feel like you missed out, like the shoot isn't complete? No, I don't usually think that. I'm, but then again, I'm also the person who shows up, you know, 30 minutes before 12 gauge and says, here's my check. Here's what I want to play. I'll finish registering after I shoot. Uh, so... You know, it's just kind of like doubles is extra. It's definitely a separate game. It's yes, there is an HAA or the high all around, which is the 500 targets. But at the same time, it's not it's not really part of that shoot. It's on its own day. It's it's just different. Yeah, some ski historians out there, if you want to email us and let us know, I think the reason why the 400, the HOA, is considered the quote unquote winner of the shoot it's because doubles wasn't added on until decades into the sports history. So it's kind of, I think it's a legacy issue, but um, it may also be because not everyone does doubles and you would really root out a lot of participation. Anyway, write to us, let us know. We'd like to have us that for our next Q and a episode. So interesting. An another question I can put to the listeners and you, Victoria is, how many people shoot low one and high seven with sustained lead? Or do you come from behind the target? I, I, just just hear me out for a second. I know this is odd because we always are advocates of sustained lead here. Given the amount of time available on these two shots, which they're not the same, but they're close enough, it's possible to reliably match the speed of the target from behind as the gun steadily moves through the target and the trigger squeezed. An argument I can 
think of, just theoretical, in favor of this method is that steadily coming from behind to match speed isn't as sensitive to erratic movements as trying to maintain staying in front with such a negligible amount of felt lead. What do you think about that? Well, I guess it depends on the person. Personally, I like sustained lead here. Yeah. I like sustained lead on every shot. I mean, you know, even station eight, sustained lead. But I also, so I just didn't, they, they dubbed it the old guys clinic yesterday. And two of the guys there shot sustained lead and two of the guys shot swing through. So I guess it really just depends on your preferences and your capabilities and what you've practiced, you know, over the years. Yeah, and this is just a thought experiment. And I know I don't like swing through or pull away on stations two, two through six. I don't even want to attempt them. Also, I don't any. I also I don't want anyone trying this approach to swing through hard and fast, coming a million miles through the target. It's this is merely a gentle move approaching the bird from the rear, quote unquote, learning the speed, matching it, and then moving through the center, pulling the trigger, and center punching it. And I mean, I don't like it because I think it takes longer to swing through. And so it would slow you down. But on this target, low one where you have, you know, an eternity to shoot it, I'm sure it would be fine. Yeah. The only way I can think of is uh, those who approach this, they might have a whole point that is for the longest time is way too far in. So they've just gotten used to taking it that way. I've seen it. Uh, more than a few times this year and it's just something i wrote down to talk about because i thought it was interesting they can't be the only ones who approach it that way i mean we think of yeah, the other stations obviously two through six sustained lead all the time every time totally agree um station one high one we shoot it with a dead gun we let it drop onto our gun station seven low seven uh which we're about to talk about now we shoot right at it for lack of a better term yeah there is no sustainment pull away matching gun speed target speed these fundamentals of shotgun shooting they don't apply to those two shots it's you could almost um, rule them out as skeet targets as crazy as that as that sounds what do you think like shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, that makes sense yeah i mean we're going to talk do station eight as our next episode, unless we get a lot of questions from this one. But um, if you're starting way out in front of high eight or low eight, and you're actually matching it with, rather than seeing the flash and going to the target, I don't think that would count as sustained lead. Or anyway, that's that's definitely something that's a preview for what we can talk about uh, in our next episode. So low seven, yeah, low seven. There's there's still more to it than just shoot right at it. We don't have to move with this target to match gun speed. Visually, it's not that complicated, but losses still do happen uh, due to carelessness. Yeah, and so the fundamentals are pretty much just shoot the freaking target. <laughs> you hold the bottom of the hoop, and your eyes are up, and then you shoot right at it, or right under it, because most people, we don't shoot 50-50, so whatever your pattern is, 60-40 is the most common. You'll be right under it when you pull the trigger. People keep writing to us asking about our gear setup. 
What do you think your gun shoots at? I don't know. I've never patterned it. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, when I got was getting my stock made, they had me shoot at a pattern board. The stock wasn't complete at that time, nor was a comb piece. I think it was 60-40, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 70-30 or 80-20. I have no idea. And as long as the barrel shoot were together at the same spot, I I mm -hmm. don't I almost think I don't want to know. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's shooting where you're looking, you're fine. Yeah, usually if you can get good breaks from both barrels, from all six of your subgauge tubes on a variety of different targets, singles and doubles, I think that answers your question. Yeah. I saw this one guy one time, and he said you pattern your gun, right? And then what he said after this was, and you do this for every single tube, you pattern your gun, take one shot at the patterning board, put a dot, point right at it, shoot it. Then you're supposed to draw a circle around it. Then you're supposed to count every single pellet. Oh, and no. I'm like, oh, my God, what if you're shooting 12 gauge? There's like a bajillion of those guys in there. You count every single hole, and then you got to, like, do the math. Where is it the biggest and all this stuff? And I'm like, that's how you figure out how your pattern is. I'm like, that guy's got too much free time on his hands. Yeah, I almost want to make a comment about ammo, but everyone is so sick and tired of hearing about ammunition. Um, let's let's go back to happy thoughts. Um, let's yeah, let's talk about happy stuff. Let's like uh, crushing low seven. So as far yeah, as far as we can talk about patterning in other episodes. Again, if you want to hear more about it, skeetsocietyinfo@gmail.com. So look point. I think it's similar to high one in the in the aspect that. I like to slave my look point, my look zone to the top of my rib. I'm not saying look at the barrel, your rib, or the beads at all. Um, this is a recommendation to not let your field of view drift too high above your gun as your pattern is rarely as wide, as long, or as dense as you think it is. And shifting your eyes up too much or to either side of the gun, uh, I think those that mistake accounts for a lot of lost targets on station seven, especially for the low house. Yeah. And one thing I'll say I never understood is people who look to the right. And so if you're looking to the right, it's going to make you want to jump your barrel to the right when you like, cause you'll see it a lot earlier. And so you're just going to want to move to go to that target when you pick it up. Uh, so if you keep your eyes, like Matt said, keep them right over top of the barrel, just nice soft focus. You'll see that target. It's going to be, you know, cook. it'll be a couple feet out there. It'll be maybe, I don't know, say 10 yards out there before you see it. Yeah. But to play to play devil's advocate, to be fair to whoever said that, I think the reason why they approach low seven visually that way is so they can get an early flash. However, having your eyes back down and to the right and then shifting them up and to the left um, to where your gun is held at. That's introducing a lot of moving parts to a, to a whole point that's not supposed to move too much. Um, yeah. It just adds way too many complexities, but um, Hey, if it works for them, but uh, it's, it's not something I'm really interested in trying. No, no. And if you do do that jerk over, well, then you got to jerk your gun back over to try and shoot the target once it levels out. And if not, your eyes are all the way down here. 
and then you got to catch that target. It's kind of like shooting a high two or a low six and looking in the window. You have that oh shit moment. Yeah. You've got to like throw your eyes out there. And so your eyes are doing too much work. You're, if you're moving your gun, your gun is doing too much movement. So it's best to just let your eyes sit out there and let them relax and just pick up the target a little bit later. Yeah, not only would that create too much of a disconnect between your eyes and the gun, uh, what it would also do is it would ca- it would force your eyes to catch up to that target to visually acquire it again, not to mention what your gun needs to do. So uh, it's not something I'd recommend. So what you do, Victoria, talk to us about where you look, how you do so specifically, how do you soften your vision, taking that general area and not just a specific pinpoint area which that'll get you into trouble. Yeah, I have very lazy eyes. I don't like to look at things uh, unless they move and then I'll walk onto them. But so that's always been a very big help for me. I'm pretty much always in soft focus. So I just kind of set my eyes right above the barrel and soft focus. I just don't look at anything in particular. And then I just call, I call pull pretty quickly. Um, I do that on every station. That just gives you less time for some, you know, a piece to come over or whatever. And then, you know, once you get that self focus, just call pull and just pick up a low seven. Yeah. I'd say the dangers of looking up a little too much is that just like looking back down to the right to pick up the flash, yeah. you don't, you don't want to be disconnected. Um, you'll lose it. You'll have to catch up visually. Your gun might not be in the right place. Um, you can and, shoot under it because your eyes are just too high. Yeah, that or that, yeah. that that or the amount of time that you take doing that visually, it'll give enough t- time for a poor target to go underneath your barrel, and then mm-hmm. the odds of you breaking it go down even more. Yeah, when something gets under your barrel, doesn't matter what station it's on. If it's under your barrel and you can't see it, it's really hard to recover. Yeah, I don't. I don't care how flat your gun shoots. You've lost your visual lock on it, and yeah, you need that. Yeah, I'd say keep your look point close enough so that you're aware and you can feel where the gun is without looking at the gun, your rib or your bead. I I like to call it slaving your look point area, just above the muzzle end of your rib, so the barrel is just a bit in your lower, lower periphery. Um, using this as an index point, it really helps me prevent uh, my vision from drifting any direction other than where it's supposed to be. If the low seven doesn't come out like uh, the previous one, and if your eyes drift uh, to the side, up, down, wherever, um, too much disconnect can happen. And even an experienced shooter can wonder on the on the ride home, why you missed that that low seven when you're going for a good score? Yeah, and I always say keep your eyes very close. So, like you were saying, you want to bring them up a little bit. The fundamental say yeah, bring them up uh, a little bit to the right. But everybody says bring them up, bring them up, and I say just like just right over top of that bead. That's a pretty good spot. Yeah. And I'd say another tip, paying attention to those who shoot in front of you if you're not the first shooter. Mm-hmm. Yep, especially that'll do more than any of these tips, whether 
if the target is a little inside to the left, a little outside to the right, or is inconsistent in its elevation of which it's coming out, watching other shooters' targets can alert you if your future low seven might drop a little bit due to environmental conditions, might come out a little high, or even the rare mechanical failures of, of a machine throwing it. Just don't be like, I mean, I'm not saying not to do that because that's a very good tip, but just don't like breathe down anybody's neck, trying to see over their shoulder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little Ju creepy. Don't just, bump into them. That's interference. Yeah. Just trick your head a little bit. So you're not inside. Yeah. In, yeah. So you're not standing in the pad. You're not in their bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to like look down their barrel in order to get a good idea. No, no. You can see it from the side. Yeah. Um, even though your target might be unique and to that, I say, don't shoot low seven too fast. Let it clearly appear mm -hmm. and watch it break. Yep. We don't need to show off how early we break low seven. But the only thing we need to show off is how hard we break it by having our step correct each time and breaking it every time. Um, I'm, I'm happy that I don't see many people take a lot of time on low seven because this would give it extra time for it to be played with by the wind um, become further out of reach, especially if your gun doesn't shoot where you're looking. Um, yeah, and that's a very good point. Uh, I've seen seen a lot of mistakes on low seven, actually. But one of the biggest ones that I've seen is people just shooting too fast. Yeah. There's no way. I don't care how fast your reflexes are. I have pretty fast reflexes, and I didn't see it. It's like, at that point, you didn't see it. You're just wasting ammo so make sure that you see that target clearly and like we've said every time identify that it is a target and pull the trigger yeah i think that comes from a few things overconfidence that they'll always break it wanting to show off wanting to hit it hard to give them some sort of uh, psychological uh, feedback um most of the time if they're shooting it fast it means their setup was rushed it went too fast they might not have the gun mounted properly their cheek might not be have a good uh comb to cheek weld um a lot of times i see either a muzzle flip or a muzzle dip and to go off on a side tangent i think shots like low seven compared to others on the ski field it can show some mechanical problems in your game, whether it's your gun, mm -hmm. maybe it not yeah. having enough pitch or having too much down pitch or negative pitch. Um, if they're having a hard time staying in the gun, keeping their cheekbone rested on the comb, you'll see that gun just fly all over the place upon recoil. And it's easier to see here because we're essentially shooting this shot with a dead gun. We're not adjusting much. We're shooting straight at it. Yeah. And I like to take people over. I'm not a big fan of the patterning board, but I like to take people to low seven, especially if you're setting up your comb and you might look down it and be like, oh yeah, I feel like that's right. You might take it to the patterning board and you might shoot it and be like, oh yeah, it shoots in a good spot. But the patterning board and an actual clay target are two very different scenarios. So if you're out there and you're shooting targets, you might, you know, pull a trigger or react slightly differently than you would at the patterning board. So I always say it's much better to 
if you will, pattern your gun on a low seven. And you can you can hit low seven. Yeah. And so you just you just kind of say, okay, maybe I was a little bit too high on that one. You need to adjust your comb, or I was a little bit too low, and you adjust your comb. And a lot of people will do that on every station. I don't say to do that on every station because you can make a lot more mistakes out there, you know, for not a good station to do it on to, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm shooting the bottom off of these. Well, perhaps it's a whole point issue out there. On low seven, if you're shooting the bottom off and you're shooting it consistently and you've adjusted your whole point, so you're still shooting it with that dead gun, then it might be a sign that your gun doesn't fit quite right. Yeah, I'd say this is an excellent segue to talk about the double on Station 7. So a good amount to deter recoil from the first shot because if you don't and your visual gaze is disturbed, the your gun's stock's position in your shoulder pocket is not where it's supposed to be. You don't have a good uh, cheekbone to comb weld. And you come out of the gun, things like that can really lead to a lost high seven on the double. And so you've mentioned stuff about clothing before. Uh, do you, how do you feel about open collars? This just popped into my head because I've seen, you know, we take a lot of new shooters to station seven and they say, Oh, you've never held a gun before. Shoot some low sevens. And I've seen a lot of them and they'll have collared shirts. And so personally, I hate that. I feel like it gets in the way. But so, I see a lot of people who do that. So I think I have one or two collared shirts that uh, that are moisture wicking. I have shot in them before, but I don't see any benefit to having them on. It's just more stuff to get in the way. Um, I wear a vest. I wear a vest, so really, oh, doesn't it, it, yeah, it uh, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't interfere. But if you have an improper mount, it can. So what would you add to uh, anyone who has the occasional issue on a Station 7 double? I think it really goes back to just rushing that low 7 and having an improper move to that to the high 7 because of it. I always say as soon as you shoot to low 7, and that's not saying you should shoot it really fast, but as soon as you pull the trigger and you see that target break, relax and get that soft focus so you can pick up the high 7 because you've just shot with a dead gun. You haven't moved at all so you're getting ready to start that movement so if you get that soft focus you can pick up the high and then you can just start moving back to it yeah and going back to gun fit if you are really feeling the effects of recoil shooting any target with a dead gun will just make it far more obvious and um, that's the thing I think about the most when it comes to shooting the second target on seven believe it or not because it's you're going from essentially no movement to the shock of felt recoil to making a move on what is perceived by you to be a slow incoming target that requires very little to match gun speed to target speed. Very good point. Um, and I also want to mention, so you were talking about recoil before. If you're recoil sensitive, a lot of times station seven is where you see it the most because mm -hmm. you might not catch it on a station out, you know, station four, you might not realize that you're flinching, but if you are flinching, you'll often see it on a double on seven because you're like, wow, 
my time, you know, your timing's the same every time you've done it so much. But you'll be like, oh my God, my timing is off. Yeah. Uh, could be a flinch. I'd say on any double, especially on seven, is that give your eyes extra time to settle. Um, the overconfidence we've spoken about mm -hmm. on any target on seven, when you're rushing to get off of this to go on to eight, usually something can happen on the double on seven. So that's what I'd say the most. But uh, anyway, we're almost out of time. Any last words, Victoria? Nope, I'm good for today. All right, see ya.